Standing in the Field, a podcast by Perennia highlighting production practices, pest management, and more for field crops in Nova Scotia. I'm your host and provincial field crop specialist, Caitlin Condon. My guest this month is Eric Richter, Syngenta Territory Rep for Nova Scotia and PEI. Eric has a long history in the industry with over 30 years of experience in various research and product development roles. Eric is passionate about helping producers grow the best possible crop by encouraging them to adopt new innovative technologies and products to drive both yields and profitability. Our discussion today is focused on the use of plant growth regulators in cereals. Hey Eric, thanks for joining me today. Good morning, Caitlin. Great to have you here. So today we're going to talk a little bit about plant growth regulators, but before we really get into that, can you talk a little bit about how cereal production has changed over the course of your career so far? I'd be glad to. So uh, currently I, I work as the territory sales rep in Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia. And prior to that, I held a, a number of positions within Syngenta, both in research and in sales. And I'm closing in on 40 years within the industry. So yes, I have seen a few changes in the number of crops, including cereals. And there's a couple things that come to mind. A winter wheat in general has been stable, uh, more southern Ontario in particular. There's not much in eastern Ontario or Quebec at the beginning of my career. That's changed somewhat. And even in the Maritimes now, we've got growing uh, or increasing acres of winter wheat. But during the course of my career, I've seen the winter wheat yields double. Uh, many of you are aware, I'm sure, and listeners of Wheat Peat. And Peter Johnson was uh, very instrumental in trying to encourage uh, cereal growers, wheat growers, to really push themselves to grow a better crop of, of wheat. But things I've noticed with winter wheat is less winter kill, uh, certainly, and uh, they've taken the approach, they were including winter wheat into the corn and soybean rotation. So it's been a pretty positive story around winter wheat. The germplasm has improved, there's been some strong breeding programs, and growers certainly have benefited from that. Now, the other cereal crops, uh, let's focus particularly on spring wheat, barley, and oats, and even mixed grain. When I started my career, there was significant uh, quarter of a million acres of mixed grain that was often barley and oats together, or uh, oats and peas, different combinations. And um, many of those acres have fell by the wayside and gone to particularly crops like corn and soybeans. And you know what drove that? Frankly, it was really profitability. At the end of the day, growers could make significantly more money with corn and soybeans in, in their crop rotation as their cash crop. And in, in the case of corn, you could feed or replace the bushel of uh, barley with uh, three quarters of a bushel of corn, <laughs> that type of uh, scenario. But yeah. that has been a big change in my career is the reduction in the other cereals in Eastern Canada. Mm. Um, the, the, Oddball has been, I think, or the the standout has been the Maritimes, where the the cereals, in particular spring cereals, have still continued to hold um, a place as significant acres in the cropping programs, and that's partly due to the fact we couldn't grow as high yielding corn or soybeans, and so cereals still stayed there with our strong livestock base, right, as mm -hmm. the supplier of grain and straw. 
I think Absolutely. that's it. Definitely, it's been a you know it's been a bit of a divergence there, as they say, between winter wheat in particular and the other cereals. But uh, there's been a bit of a comeback here in eastern Canada with some of the other crops, oats uh, from a from a human consumption, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Quaker and Peterborough and Quaker. There's in in Quebec. There's some very strong markets now developing. And even barley, you know, the microbreweries and, and so on, barley is, is coming back. So those crops do hold a place in the crop production system here in the Maritimes. And, and I think will continue to do so. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, how about the changes in um, kind of agronomic management? Like, it seems like there's definitely more of a move towards more intense programs in the Maritimes anyways. And I, I mean, that may not be <laughs> new to other places. No, I would agree with your, your comment about the, the different approach that growers are using. <clears throat> it's been relatively recent though, because the, we'll talk a bit more about plant growth regulators. And, and one of the things that Syngenta, we've described them as enablers, enablers, um, mm-hmm. a tool that growers can use to help mitigate some of the risks that are inherent in the production system. But what's changed for the growers relatively recent is the realization that we can come at it from a systems approach. We talk about our Syngenta Stack Cereal Program where we are encouraging growers to capitalize on the synergies of fungicide and fertilizer along with plant growth regulators. So we're really, Caitlin, we're adopting the European system. There's an increased yeah. level of intensity, focus, and management, as you, as, as you alluded. With that, I think let's dive into the plant growth regulator side of things. And can we talk a little bit about what PGRs actually do, how they work? Okay, so plant growth regulator, PGRs, I'll refer to it as, as we go forward here, um, regulate the overall growth and cell development within the plant. That's it. Full stop. <laughs> Think of it that <laughs> Easy way. Easy answer. <laughs> so, yeah. So physiologically, they change the plant, how it grows. And the grower, the farmer is the beneficiary of that. And the reason being is there's two things predominantly that we're trying to do. Not all work the same way. There's there's the anti-gibberella or gibberella inhibitors. And there's also those uh, growth regulators that produce ethylene. And the, the goal is to, two things if we can, one is to reduce the height of the plant. And we're doing that by reducing what's called the internodes. So you, mm-hmm. you think of your arm between your elbow and your wrist, that's the internode of a plant that between the joint um, nodes, they're called. But think of it as, again, between your elbow and your wrist, what we do is we shorten that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, that is common in all the plant growth regulators. Some of them have a, a bit more uh, influence on the thickness of the pipe, the stem or the straw, and they strengthen that part of the plant. So not only have we made it a little bit shorter, but we've also made that um, stem, the pipe, uh, thicker. And we have an analogy that we uh, use in our presentations on MODIS that is, I think, just brilliant, actually. Um, we think of this 
the stem, the grain, the plant as a, a fishing rod. Mm -hmm. And so you're looking at typically where the stem breaks. It's right down at the bottom near the soil surface or just above the crown. So your fishing rod would break just above the rod, right? Just above the reel, sorry. And okay. what we want to do with the plant growth regulator is we want to thicken the base of that rod, not necessarily the top part. We'll make mm -hmm. the rod a little shorter, but it still has the flexibility to, to wave in the wind, so to speak. But what we're doing with the plant growth regulator, we're definitely, we're strengthening the bottom part of that rod, the stem, the stalk. And we're just making the rod a little bit shorter, just so, uh, again, it's not as fragile. And uh, those two things, as I say, that on all the growth regulators work exactly the same. But those are the physiological changes that we observe when PGRs are applied to cereal crops. So that applies to winter wheat, spring wheat, winter barley, spring barley, and oats, uh, uh, in in the same way, right? It, they're all different crops. They're cereal crops, but that's our that's our goal in terms of using the PGRs and what what we're trying to do. Awesome, that's uh, the fishing rod analogy. That's a cool way to think about it. It uh, gives a really good really good image that way. All right. So, in what type of situation would you choose to use a PGR? How how does it benefit? So that's a great question. When in particular would we encourage growers to look at incorporating PGRs into their production system, their, their stacked program? And as they say, it is, is designed as an enabler for the growers, a risk mitigation tool, as I talked earlier. And it, it really falls into, in my opinion, two groups of growers. Uh, one group, they may be livestock or they may be pure cash crop, but certainly the growers that are pushing their cereal crop and in, in increasing that level of, of management and inputs, in particular fertilizer and the fungicides, don't, don't forget they go hand in hand. If we're going mm. to apply more fertilizer, we certainly have to keep the plant healthier longer to extract those nutrients from the soil profile and make more bushels of grain but we have to keep it standing of course as the as the head or the grain load on the top of the plant starts to increase so growers cash i'll use the word cash crop that are really increasing their level of intensity pushing their crop uh, to the to the max to increase well not only yield but also profitability mm -hmm. the other where plant growth regulators, I think, are the perfect fit. I don't know if you've ever sat on a tractor and, and spread manure. Um, <laughs> I no have, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Or dairy or beef or what have you. Um, yeah, the spreaders have changed. Again, I've been in the industry for 40 years, and they certainly are better on the spread pattern. But it's not uncommon still to see growers applying livestock manure, which is, which is a true resource. Mm. And the goal they, they they strive for is, you know, X number of tons uh, over X number of acres in as uniform a spread pattern as possible. Mm -hmm. And, that, you know, that, that's, a, that's a challenge. Uh, but in that process, there's certainly overlaps. Um, it's still far easier to spread commercial product, commercial fertilizer products, uh, 
And when we look at the manure application system, what we do with those overlaps is very quickly, Caitlin, we can get two X factors, sometimes even three or more uh, X factors. And what I mean by that is rates of application. Mm. So um, we can get zone strips or areas that have higher than, than targeted or desired nutrient levels. And so the growth regulator as a risk mitigation tool, livestock growers growing cereals see tremendous, tremendous value in including a plant growth regulator in that system. When might you not opt to use a PGR? So this is, again, a very good question because our goal is to help growers grow the best possible crop. And unless we're generating a significant return on their investments, then we shouldn't be doing that, Um, you know, treatment or production system. And so when should we not use plant growth regulators or at least pull back and and, uh, go slow? And there's two areas that that we've identified. Actually, there would be three. The two that I'm thinking of first would be associated with drought stress, uh, where the available water and the soil profile is starting to become somewhat restricted. That in turn, of course, will make our our cereal crop shorter, right? So Mm -hmm. the risk of lodging automatically, it's starting to decrease, but also the plant is under stress. So when we take our plant growth regulator, we start to, you know, change physiologically how it grows. Um, the drought and pressure, we just, we just are, are, you know, encouraging growers to pull back, uh, withhold the uh, application of the growth regulator. Um, we'll talk perhaps later about a split app approach, but the other area, of course, is lower fertility. Mm-hmm. I personally, um, so there'd be two production systems that I, I currently reference as far as cereal production in the Maritimes. One is more of lower input system. Um, still more of, I'll use the word a rotation crop. They're mm-hmm. not as uh, concerned about, uh, you know, extracting as high a yield and profit per acre. And part of that may be due to resources and labor and time, but in low fertility environments, again, the insertion of the plant growth regulator is not warranted. And the last one, when you would not use it, I would say it would be more of delay the treatment would be when we see particularly nighttime temperatures dropping below zero uh, Celsius or into that, you know, near freeze zone, Um, extra stress. We just want to make sure that the, the, the plants are actively growing give them a chance to come out of that. Those growers simply are just delaying the treatment. They wouldn't postpone or, or pull it out of the system entirely. Whereas the first two references I gave you to drought and to low fertility, the um, plant growth regulators more than likely would be pulled out of those. You mentioned um, delaying the application a bit. So what is the ideal um, window for application? And does that differ from the available application window? So it's, it's not necessarily the same for all plant growth regulators as far as the label and the mm-hmm. suggested application staging. Uh, we do need to reference growth staging here. And, you know, the uh, older products in particular were pretty finicky and the window was was very very narrow 
product like Modus now has got a wider window of application and uh, helping growers identify that ideal timing is, is, is still a challenge. Lots going on, lots going on in the spring. Of course, uh, many growers are still you know, planting other crops or uh, moving into their first cut hay, these types of things. So they have to be ready. And for our product in particular on the label, we zero in on what's called T1 timing or growth stage 30 to 32. And, you know, as I say, interesting, we do have in some of the products a registration for split up. So we would go slightly earlier and slightly later with two applications at half the rate, the recommended rate. So we're still applying the same total active. And I, again, can, you know, certainly encourage growers to consult the label because even mm-hmm. with our own product, as with others, there are different rates of active applied on the different cereal crops. But the timing, I would encourage growers to, one, consult the label. If there's any hesitation, there's lots of uh, experts, local experts, including yourself in the industry that can help growers pinpoint the exact time or the optimum time for application. Why would you choose to do a split application over a single application? Is there a, a big a big difference, I guess, in the in the two? Well, number one, personally, I wouldn't do that unless the grower was further up the intensity management scale. In terms of the one-shot deal, this is what has really attracted the growers. Once and done, right? It's all on. Yeah. But your question is, when would we look at Uh, two applications. Mm -hmm. So I would answer with this, is that, again, as growers slide up the uh, management intensity scale, and they're doing a early herbicide application, um, because the one-shot deal is sort of a compromise, right? We're at T sort of 1.5, so we're we're trying to put it all in, and in the end, it's a little bit late for herbicide, maybe a little bit late for that ultra-early fungicide, (laughs) <laughs> the growth regulator may be the right stage, but what we want to do is split them apart. And if the grower is receptive to multiple applications or field trips, so mm-hmm. in this case, we would now be working with a grower that would typically do or make three applications in their soil production system. In wheat, let's say, yep. they're going to do an application with the herbicide and the half rate of modus before the T1, so just again, it looks like your lawn, right? It's green, maybe just just closing canopy, but there's no elongation. All the all the plants just have that crown. Tillers are there, the leaves are there, but there's no increase in in height. That's our early ahead of T1 modus or growth regulator, sorry, and then our uh, herbicide. Then we would come back through with our T1 fungicide. And we would also do this second application of the growth regulator at the at the other half rate. Mm-hmm. Now, the beauty about this one is that if the season starts to deteriorate on us and it starts to look like it's getting exceptionally dry, move in that direction, we can forego the other half rate. Okay. So that's the one advantage with the split rate is it gives the grower the flexibility to just pull back. Again, no sense creating more stress within the system. But 
for the growers that are doing the full program, uh, you know, higher rates of ant and fertility, they're using the fungicides. What we want to do, I'm going to go back to the fishing rod analogy. Okay. Galen. So what we've done with the half shot, half shot up early, the early application is we've got the bottom part of the fishing rod strengthened. We've, sh- we've already got the plant set up to be a little shorter. But remember, first application, the plants aren't in the, the elongation stage, but we're right. going to prime that plant. So as soon as it starts to shoot the first and second nodes, the inner nodes will be shorter. Mm-hmm. We put on the second uh, half rate, the second application of plant growth regulator. What do we do? We build the, we strengthen the rod a little further up. Mm-hmm. So we're actually increasing the strength all the way up to about the midpoint of that stem or straw. And yet we still have the top that can wave in the wind. We do reduce the height, as I said, but it gives the growers, uh, as they say, uh, a bit more flexibility to customize it. Either, you know, second app, they can pull back a bit or eliminate it. And it achieves all the objectives, even to a higher degree with um, shortening the plan and strengthening the straw. So, it's the it's the final piece for the growers that are on a three spray program. And the third spray, by the way, would be at T three at heading, the fungicide mm-hmm. heading. So if a grower is inclined to make three passes through their field, then they are a grower that I think should give consideration to the products that have a, a split rate application or a split, you know, a split um, early and and a, and a mid application. What sort of trends? Are you seeing, or are there any trends that you're seeing associated with um, PGRs? I would say there are there are some, some mega trends developing in cereal production, including plant growth regulators. It's not no shame saying this, but Europe has led the way. Absolutely. Even uh, you know the southern hemisphere, in particular New Zealand, which is. I've never been. I've never been to either spot. I guess uh, one of these days. But the UK and and New Zealand has some similar uh, growing environments or conditions, even though they're a world apart. Um, and that's um, it's interesting saying that because the Maritimes is is still closer to the UK production environment uh, than yeah. than Central Canada. So, yeah. uh, what are the what are the trends? I remember when we had. Uh, spring milling wheat introduced in into eastern Canada and there was uh, a lot of reference at that time Caitlin to hey this is what the Europeans are doing this is what the Europeans are doing you know to get that protein bonus and so on that's back in the 80s by the way (laughs) we have watched uh, what some of the growers have been doing over the over the pond so to speak and Europe as I mentioned earlier has led the way they the adoption of plant growth regulators in their cereal production system, barley and in particular wheat, uh, has has been longstanding over 20 years, you know, several decades that they've included plant growth regulators and their yields, their yields in general have have, have shown the importance, you know, keeping it standing, uh, making it easier to harvest. When cereal lot is more conducive to disease or lower quality, there's a whole bunch, a host of, of advantages and benefits for growers using plant growth regulators. And I think the number is something like 70, 80% of the cereal crops in Europe 
uh, receive at least one application of plant growth regulator. And mm. many acres, significant acres receive two or more. We've got the MRLs. We've got some products that are a little easier to work with. The application uh, windows are wider. We've got things like this uh, split apps that are registered. So the, the opportunity is there for growers to grab onto the plant growth regulators, incorporate them in as a risk mitigation or enabler and grow a better crop of cereals, whether it be wheat, barley, or, or oats, even, even, even rye in some cases. But, you know, the big three, of course. So that's the, that's the big change I've seen. It's only been recent. Um, I would say in the Maritimes, it's been within the last three years. Yeah, it's been really cool um, to look at, I mean, you're involved in the Yield Enhancement Network in PEI, and, and they've had three yep. years of it over there, and we have had two, uh, two years of it here in Nova Scotia, and it's really interesting to look at the results from that and see how, how the PGRs fit in, and then compare that to the yen in the UK and kind of seeing the differences and, and how they're using it. Absolutely. They, they're still ahead of us a bit. You know, yeah. you can only you move things along at a certain pace. After that, you, you can, you know, it's uh, growers and customers have to adopt technology at their own pace. That they're Absolutely. Comfortable with. I understand that. But our, our job is to put those opportunities out there in front of growers and they'll evaluate them for themselves and adopt those that have the, the most suitability and and opportunities to help them meet their business needs, they'll, they'll do that on their own, right? So. Mm -hmm. Well, what advice would you have for somebody that's interested in going down a more intensive uh, production route? So for a new grower to this system, and I, I know there's a, a lot of acres in, in Nova Scotia included here that you know, the, the opportunity to move the needle forward in cereal production, I believe, personally, this is my own belief, not as a Jensen position, but it, it is tremendous. But it is a, it's a long ways from where we currently are to, to where some of what we've talked about today. And, you know, they just have to take uh, small steps. And, and I am a firm, firm believer in trials, demos, uh, experiments yeah. on the farm. That's how you learn personally. And, you know, we're pushing some growers outside their comfort zone. Uh, there is more work involved. Sometimes labor restrictions, for example, could impinge on whether they can actually physically make it work. Because remember, yeah. as we talked earlier, timing is critical. Totally. So if there's some constraints, then uh, the system may not be for them. But what would I encourage them to do? Go slow, do your do your own uh, assessment, or or I, I firmly believe in this. This is I, I started in Ontario uh, uh, Precision Soy Club, and there's so much power. The yen is the same way. Power in peer-to-peer -peer shared learning, I call it. Mm. And so, don't be afraid to compare your notes. And I know growers do this. Compare your notes with with some of your neighbors. And no sense relearning everything all over again, right from square one. Draw on the experience of your neighbors, ex uh, experts such as yourselves in the in the field, and you can accelerate the adoption curve by doing that, and not not really put yourself at the the risk of the unknown. In many cases here, 
there's others that have gone before and been successful draw on that experience and uh, you know incorporate still at your own pace but um, yep. don't be afraid this incredible database that shows that PGRs uh, along with other inputs in a stack system have uh, tremendous benefit and payback for cereal growers in the Maritimes. Awesome. Yeah, great advice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Outstanding in the Field. Stay tuned for a written summary coming up in the next edition of the CropLinks newsletter, which you can subscribe to by visiting our website, perennia.ca. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on future episodes. Follow us on social media at NS Perennia. Thanks to Perennia for supporting this podcast and our marketing and communications team, Moira Anderson and Patty Ryan for production and design.